Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read at page 35 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Still Waters Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. This blessed permutation, as unto sin and righteousness, is represented unto us in the Scripture as a principal object of our faith, as that whereon our peace with God is founded. And although both these, the imputation of sin unto Christ and the imputation of righteousness unto us, be the acts of God and not ours, yet we are by faith to exemplify them in our own souls, and really to perform what on our part is required unto their application unto us, whereby we receive the atonement. Romans chapter 5 verse 11. Christ calls unto him all those that labor and are heavy laden. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. The weight that is upon the consciences of men wherewith they are laden is the burden of sin. So, the psalmist complains that his sins were a burden too heavy for him. Psalms chapter 38 verse 4. Such was Cain's apprehension of his guilt. Genesis chapter 4 verse 13. This burden Christ bare when it was laid on him by divine estimation. For so it is said, non-English words, Isaiah 53 verse 11. He shall bear their iniquities on him as a burden. And this he did when God made to meet upon him the iniquity of us all. Verse 6. And the application of this unto our own souls, as it is required that we be sensible of the weight and burden of our sins, and how it is heavier than we can bear. So the Lord calls us unto him with it, that we may be eased. This he does in the preaching of the gospel, wherein he is evidently crucified before our eyes. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 In the view which faith has of Christ crucified, for faith is a looking unto him, 
Isaiah chapter 65 verse 22 and 45 verse 1, answering their looking unto the brazen serpent who were stung with fiery serpents. John chapter 3 verse 14 and 15. And under a sense of his invitation, for our faith is our coming unto him upon his call and invitation. To come unto him with our burdens, a believer considers that God has laid all our iniquities upon him. Yea, that he has done so is an especial object whereon faith is to act itself, which is faith in his blood. Hereon does the soul approve of and embrace the righteousness and grace of God with the infinite condescension and love of Christ himself. It gives its consent that what is thus done is what becomes the infinite wisdom and grace of God, and therein it rests. Such a person seeks no more to establish his own righteousness, but submits to the righteousness of God. Herein by faith does he leave that burden on Christ which he called him to bring with him and complies with the wisdom and righteousness of God in laying it upon him. And herewithal does he receive the everlasting righteousness which the Lord Christ brought in when he made an end of sin and reconciliation for transgressors. The reader may be pleased to observe that I am not debating these things argumentatively in such propriety of expressions as are required in a scholastic disputation, which shall be done afterwards, so far as I judge it necessary. But I am doing that which indeed is better and of more importance, namely, declaring the experience of faith in the expressions of the scripture, or such as are analogous unto them. And I had rather be instrumental in the communication of light and knowledge unto the meanest believer than to have the clearest success against prejudiced disputers. Wherefore, by faith thus acting we are justified and have peace with God. Other foundation in this matter can no man lay that will endure the trial. Nor are we to be moved that men who are unacquainted with these things in their reality and power do reject the whole work of faith herein as an easy effort of fancy or imagination. For the preaching of the cross is foolishness unto the best of the natural wisdom of men. Neither can any understand them but by the Spirit of God. Those who know the terror of the Lord, who have been really convinced and made sensible of the guilt of their apostasy from God and of their actual sins in that state, and what a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God, seeking thereon after a real, solid foundation, whereon they may be accepted with Him. Have other thoughts of these things, and do find believing a thing to be quite of another nature than such men suppose. It is not a work of fancy or imagination unto men to deny and abhor themselves to subscribe unto the righteousness of God in denouncing death as due to their sins, to renounce all hopes and expectations of relief from any righteousness of their own, to mix the word and promise of God concerning Christ and righteousness by Him with faith, so as to receive the atonement, and wherewithal to give up themselves unto a universal obedience unto God. And as for them, 
unto whom through pride and self-conceit on the one hand, or ignorance on the other, it is so. We have in this matter no concernment with them. For unto whom these things are only the work of fancy, the gospel is a fable. Something unto this purpose I had written long since in a practical discourse concerning communion with God, and whereas some men of an inferior condition have found it useful for the strengthening themselves in their dependencies on some of their superiors, or in compliance with their own inclinations, to cavil at my writings and revile their author. That book has been principally singled out to exercise their faculty and good intentions upon. This course is steered of late by one Mr. Hotchkiss, in a book about justification wherein, in particular, befalls very severely on that doctrine, which, for the substance of it, is here again proposed, page 81. And were it not that I hope it may be somewhat useful unto him to be a little warned of his immoralities in that discourse, I should not in the least have taken notice of his other impertinencies. The good man, I perceive, can be angry with persons whom he never saw, and about things which he cannot or will not understand, so far as to revile them with most approbois language. For my part, although I have never written anything designedly on this subject, or the doctrine of justification, before now, yet he could not but discern by what was occasionally delivered in that discourse that I maintain no other doctrine herein, but what was the common faith of the most learned men in all Protestant churches. And the reasons why I am singled out for the object of his petulancy and spleen are not too manifest to need repetition. But I shall yet inform him of what perhaps he is ignorant, namely, that I esteem it no small honor that the reproaches wherewith the doctrine opposed by him is reproached do fall upon me. And the same I say concerning all the reviling and contemptuous expressions that his ensuing pages are filled with all. But as to present occasion, I beg his excuse, if I believe him not, that the reading of the passages which he mentions out of my book filled him with, quote, horror and indignation, end quote, as he pretends. For, as he acknowledges that my words may have a sense which he approves of, and which therefore must of necessity be good and sound, what honest and sober person would not rather take them in that sense than rest them unto another, so as to cast himself under the disquietment of a fit of horrible indignation? In this fit, I suppose it was, if such a fit indeed did befall him, as one evil begets another, that he thought he might insinuate something of my denial of the necessity of our own personal repentance and obedience. For no man who had read that book only of all my writings could, with the least regard to conscience or honesty, give countenance unto such a surmise, unless his mind was much discomposed by the unexpected invasion of a fit of horror. But such is his dealing with me from first to last, nor do I know where to fix on any one instance of his expectations against me, wherein I can suppose he had escaped his pretended fit and was returned unto himself, 
that is, unto honest and ingenuous thoughts, wherewith I hope he is most conversant. But, though I cannot miss in the justification of this charge by considering any instance of his reflections, yet I shall at present take that which he insists longest upon, and fills his discourse about it with most scurrilent of expressions. And this is in the 164th page of his book, and most that follow. For there he disputes fiercely against me for making this to be an undue end of our serving God, namely, that we may flee from the wrath to come. And who would not take this for an inexpiable crime in any, especially in him who has written so much of the nature and use of threatening unto the gospel, and the fear that ought to be engenerated by them in the hearts of men, as I have done? Wherefore, so great a crime, being the object of them all, his reviling seemed not only to be excused, but allowed. But what if... All this should prove a willful prevarication. Not becoming a good man must let a minister of the gospel. My words, as reported and transcribed by myself, are these. Quote, Some there are that do the service of the house of God as the drudgery of their lives. The principle they yield obedience upon is a spirit of bondage unto fear. The rule they do it by is the law in its dread and rigor, exacting it out of them to the utmost without mercy or mitigation. The end they do it for is to fly from the wrath to come, to pacify conscience, and to seek for righteousness, as it were, by the works of the law. End quote. Footnote. See John Owen on the Communion with God, Volume 2, of his works and footnote what follow unto the same purpose he omits and what he adds as my words are not so but his own non-english words that which i affirmed to be a part of an evil end when and as it makes up one entire end by being mixed with sundry other things expressly mentioned is singled out as if I had denied that in any sense it might be a part of a good end in our obedience, which I never thought, I never said. I have spoken and written much to the contrary. And yet, to countenance himself in this disingenuous procedure, besides many other untrue reflections, he adds that I insinuate that those whom I describe are Christians that seek righteousness by faith in Christ. Page 167. I must needs tell this author that my faith in this matter is that such works as these will have no influence in his justification and that the principal reason why I suppose I shall not in my progress in this discourse take any particular notice of his exceptions either against the truth or me next unto this consideration that they are all trite and obsolete and as to what seems to be of any force in them will occur unto me and other authors from whom they are derived is that I may not have a continual occasion to declare how forgetful he has been of all the rules of ingenuity yea and of common honesty in his dealing with me for what which gave the occasion unto this present unpleasing digression, it being no more as to the substance of it, but that our sins were imputed unto Christ, and that his righteousness is imputed unto us. It is 
that in the faith whereof I am assured I shall live and die, though he should write twenty as learned books against it as those which he has already published. And, in what sense, I do believe these things shall be afterwards declared. And although I judge no man upon the expressions that fall from them in Paulinic writings, wherein, on many occasions, they do affront their own experience and contradict their own prayers, yet, as to those who understand not that blessed commutation of sins and righteousness, as to the substance of it, which I have pleaded for, and the acting of our faith with respect thereunto, I shall be bold to say, that if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that perish. Sixthly, introduction of grace by Jesus Christ into the whole of our relation unto God, and its respect unto all the parts of our obedience. No mystery of grace in the covenant of works. All religion originally commensurate unto reason. No notions of natural light concerning the introduction of the mediation of Christ and mystery of grace into our relation to God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 to 19. Reason, as corrupted, can have no notions of religion but what are derived from its primitive state. Hence the mysteries of the gospel esteemed folly. Reason as corrupted, repugnant unto the mystery of grace. Accommodation of spiritual mercies unto the corrupt reason, wherefore acceptable unto many. Reasons of it. Two parts of corrupted nature's repugnancy unto the mystery of the gospel. Number one, that which would reduce it unto the private reason of men. Hence the Trinity denied, and the incarnation of the Son of God, without which the doctrine of justification cannot stand. Rule of the Socinians and the interpretation of the Scripture. Number two, want of a due comprehension of the harmony that is between all the parts of the mystery of grace. This harmony is proved, compared with the harmony in the works of nature, to be studied but it is learned only of them who are taught of God and in experience. Evil effects of the want of a due comprehension hereof. Instances of them all applied unto the doctrine of justification. Sixthly, we can never state our thoughts aright in this matter unless we have a clear apprehension of and satisfaction in the introduction of grace by Jesus Christ into the whole of our relation unto God, with its respect unto all parts of our obedience. There was no such thing, nothing of the nature or kind, in the first constitution of that relation in obedience by the law of our creation. We were made in a state of immediate relation unto God in our own persons, as our Creator, Preserver, and Rewarder. There was no mystery of grace in the covenant of works. No more was required into the consummation of that state but what was given us in our creation, enabling us unto rewardable obedience. Do this and live was the sole rule of our relation unto God. There was nothing in religion originally of that which the gospel celebrates under the name of grace, kindness, and love of God, whence all our favorable relation unto God does now proceed and whereunto it is resolved. Nothing 
of the interposition of a mediator with respect unto our righteousness before God and acceptance with Him, which is at present the life and soul of religion, the substance of the gospel and the center of all the truths revealed in it. The introduction of these things is that which makes our religion a mystery, yea, a great mystery, if the apostle may be believed. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 All religion at first was suited and commensurable unto reason, but being now become a mystery, men, for the most part, are very unwilling to receive it. But so it must be. And unless we are restored unto our primitive rectitude, a religion suited unto the principles of our reason, of which it has none but what answer that first state, will not serve our turns. Wherefore, of this introduction of Christ and grace in Him unto our relation unto God, there are no notions in the natural conceptions of our minds, nor are they discoverable by reason in the best and utmost of its exercise. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 For before our understanding were darkened and our reason debased by the fall, there were no such things revealed or proposed unto us. Yea, the supposition of them is inconsistent with and contradictory unto the whole state and condition wherein we were to live to God, seeing they all suppose the entrance of sin. And it is not likely that our reason, as now corrupted, should be willing to embrace that which it knew nothing of in its best condition and which was inconsistent with that way of attaining happiness which was absolutely suited unto it. For it has no faculty or power but what it has derived from that state. And to suppose it is now of itself suited and ready to embrace such heavenly mysteries of truth and grace as it had no notions of, nor could have, in the state of innocency, is to suppose that by the fall our eyes were opened to know good and evil, in the sense that the serpent deceived our first parents with an expectation of. Whereas, therefore, our reason was given us for our only guide in the first constitution of our natures, it is naturally unready to receive what is above it, and as corrupted as an enmity thereunto. Hence, in the first open proposal of this mystery, namely of the love and grace of God in Christ, of the introduction of a mediator and his righteousness into our relation unto God, in that way which God in infinite wisdom had designed, the whole of it was looked on as merely folly by the generality of the wise and rational men of the world, as the Apostle declares at large, 1 Corinthians Chapter 1. Neither was the faith of them ever really received in the world without an act of the Holy Ghost upon the mind and its renovation. And those who judge that there is nothing more needful to enable the mind of man to receive the mysteries of the gospel in a due manner, but the outward proposal of the doctrine thereof, do not only deny the deprivation of our nature by the fall, but by just consequence, wholly renounce that grace whereby we are to be recovered. Wherefore, reason, as has been elsewhere proved, 
acting on and by its own innate principles and abilities, conveyed unto it from its original state, and as now corrupted, is repugnant unto the whole introduction of grace by Christ into our relation unto God. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 And endeavor, therefore, to reduce the doctrine of the gospel, or what is declared therein concerning the hidden mystery of the grace of God in Christ, unto the principles and inclinations of the minds of men, or reason as it remains in us after the entrance of sin, under the power at least of those notions and conceptions of things religious, which it retains from its first state and condition, is to debase and corrupt them, as we shall see in sundry instances, and so make way for their rejection. Hence, very difficult it is to keep up doctrinally and practically the minds of men unto the reality and spiritual height of this mystery. For men naturally do neither understand it nor like it. And therefore, every attempt to accommodate it unto the principles and inbred notions of corrupt reason is very acceptable unto many, yea, unto the most. For the things which such men speak and declare are without more ado, without any exercise of faith or prayer, without any supernatural illumination, easily intelligible and exposed to the common sense of mankind. But whereas a declaration of the mysteries of the gospel can obtain no admission into the minds of men, but by the effectual working of the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 19. It is generally looked on as difficult, perplexed, unintelligible. And even the minds of many who find they cannot contradict it are yet not at all delighted with it. And here lies the advantage of all them who, in these days, do attempt to corrupt the doctrine of the gospel in the whole or any part of it. For the accommodation of it unto the common notions of corrupted reason is the whole of what they design. And in the confidence of the suffrage hereof, they not only oppose the things themselves, but despise the declaration of them as enthusiastical canting. And by nothing do they more prevail themselves than by a pretense of reducing all things to reason, and contempt of what they oppose as unintelligible fanaticism. But I am not more satisfied in anything of the most uncontrollable evidence than that the understandings of these men are no just measurable or standard of spiritual truth. Wherefore, notwithstanding all this fierceness of scorn, with the pretended advantages which some think they have made by traducing expressions in the writings of some men, it may be improper. It may be not only suited unto their own genius and capacity in these things. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 
450-3730. By fax at 780-468-1096. Or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, AB, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.